Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're so glad that you could make it here this Sunday. The Lent Guide is still available for pickup, so if you would like a copy mailed or emailed to you, be sure to contact the church office. For those attending the movie event today at the Alliance Movie Theater, they should arrive at 1.45 and the movie will begin at 2 p.m. We're so excited to see you there. The February Elder-Led Prayer Gathering will take place on Thursday, February 26th at 6 p.m. All are welcome to come. That's all the announcements for today. Enjoy the service.
Okay, go ahead and have a seat, everyone. Well, it's great to be with you. This morning I got up and I let the dog out, and I couldn't believe that it was six degrees outside today. Uh, so uh, the sunshine, however, more than makes up for it, and I'm grateful for that. And I, I know February is a difficult month to get through, so you learn to count the smallest blessings uh, whenever you're trying to go through a difficult moment. And February's always been a challenge for me. I, I was born in Southern California, so I think I was just born for that kind of an environment. Uh, but uh, when the sun shines, it's like, oh, that feels so good. I even find myself some days going down to that, that, that downstairs set of doors and uh, just standing in front of the window and letting the sun just come in and soak it in. And it just feels wonderful. And there's, I think, an analogy in everything. And one of those analogies, of course, is how the, the light of the sun that we are celebrating uh, as we look at the chronicle of his experience here on earth in the book of Luke, uh, you do see that attending to his life has a life-changing impact on ourselves as we track with him, as we just kind of absorb in one sense the substance of the storytelling uh, that we find in the book of Luke. And so I've been really um, actually enjoying going through the study with you guys, both in the preaching and the preparation, in, in dialogue with Rich as we discuss the uh, passages that we're going to be preaching on, and, and then following the worship service, uh, teaching on the book of Luke, and just uh, digging deeper into the substance of all of that. Uh, so, uh, in, in the winter, when you can't go outside, you can spend a lot of time just attending to uh, reading and thinking about your faith and the role that God has uh, in our lives, uh, perhaps in a way that we're not so distracted. So, there's always benefits uh, when you are shut in or whether you go out, there's always places to look to see where God is moving. And so, I hope in the time that we are constrained by the weather, we are allowing that to open up our awareness of what God is doing in his word and in our lives and, and in our church. Um, and along those lines, um, uh, hopefully you guys have picked up uh, the book right outside the worship center on the, the keystone habits of Jesus that we call the power habits. And if you've picked that up, uh, hopefully you've gone through the first five days of the power habits of Jesus, just the introduction. And if you recall, the words that um, we're exploring have to do with how he was committed to community, how he was committed to spending time in scripture, how he devoted time regularly to prayer, and then how he, like so many of us I know need to, uh, stepped back from everything that was going on in his world and retreated so that he could retreat from the noise and be alone with God. So that's four. And the fifth one, of course, is how he was committed to spending time in church. Now, their version of the church was the temple or the synagogue, but it seems like repeatedly the scripture tells us as well that one of the habits that Jesus had was he attended church regularly. 
And I know the constraints, not only of February, but of the season that we've been in with the pandemic have made it kind of weird in how we attend the church. But I do know that uh, uh, as I think about our guests online and you guys here today, uh, if we're not gathered physically, we're gathered here today uh, in spirit. And so, you know, we're with people not only uh, in the online sense, but also here. And the truth of the matter is, um, as we take communion, we're doing that with saints all across the globe. So some pretty special things happening that are the spiritual realities that don't necessarily have always a tangible sense of what that means until we kind of feel it. It's palpable. And when Jesus spent time being committed to the disciples and the 72, and as he spent time in prayer and in scripture, it had a profound impact on his ability to be a presence to the people around him. And the concerns that we've had for our people as shepherds and pastors is that we tend to get a little bit disengaged and we tend to have habits that don't necessarily become uh, entrenched under conditions like this, but rather we drift away from them. And I wanted our people to have an opportunity to tune in to the key habits of Jesus and then to take them on for themselves uh, once again if you've gotten out of the habit, whether you're here or online. And so this is really a pathway to that. Now, as we just kind of pivot from that, uh, we're going to be focusing on community for this week of Lent in that booklet. Uh, so please get that. If you don't have one, uh, uh, pick one up in the, um, in, in, the, in the foyer out there or get online and find a digital copy. Uh, I'm just trying to uh, uh, get a critical mass of our people uh, in a place where we're all um, doing the Lord's work and being online with the Lord in the healthiest way possible in this unhealthy moment. Now, before I get into the passage of scripture today, I would just like for you to bow with me and uh, let's invite the Lord into uh, this moment. Would you, would you bow? Father, we are grateful that as we gather, we experience the sunlight from the radiance of the sun as it directs its energy towards the earth. But even more so, Father, we thank you that you've drawn us into this place and into this space where the light of your sun, as it is radiating through your word, begins to speak to our very souls. And we find such a sense of consolation when we take your word into our hearts in a sincere way, and we know that the difference is just simply palpable. It is that thing, that intangible thing, that comes alive in us that just perks us up like the sunlight does to a person who uh, just allows its radiance uh, to soak into their being. And so, Lord, as we just take that sense of the spiritual realities of your kingdom and we engage with it, we want to invite you into this moment, into our hearts and our minds and our lives. And we ask, Father, that as we do that you would change us. If there are things inside of us that need healing, I pray that you would heal us 
If there are things inside of us that need to be called out, I pray that you bring it to the surface and help us to name it and then put in place whatever that thing is that is working against your purpose in our lives to be replaced with your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just inhabit our lives in increasing measure so that the Spirit of Christ that we saw activated in the life of Jesus here on earth would be a spirit at work in us as your church. We pray that you bless your word, and as we attune to it, that you would speak to us and we could hear your voice in these matters. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through the beginning parts of the life of Jesus, and as we've done that, we've seen how from the, from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit has played a role in, apologize for this, uh, but we have, um, there we go, you guys hear me okay? Good, okay, so let me just back up. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in, in the womb, and then whenever he uh, began his, um, his ministry, we know the Holy Spirit came down him in the full measure to be with him during the course of his ministry. And we know that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert so that he could be tested by God and tempted by the tempter. And we know that the Holy Spirit enabled him to have strength to overcome. We also see that as he began his ministry, he took the book of Luke and he opened it up, or the book of Isaiah, rather, and opened it up. And Luke says that he recorded or he reported to the congregation that the Spirit of, of the Lord is upon me to speak uh, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, release of captives, and so many things that have to do with, well, it has to do with cleaning house and reestablishing the order that God originally intended for this world to be and us to experience in this world. And now the Spirit is enabling Jesus to do exactly that. The passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at is from Luke chapter 4. And beginning with verses 31 and following, we find that the ministry of Jesus begins a forward assault into the reign and dominion of the kingdom of the evil one. Because you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the tempter showed up and said, all authority has been given to me. And if you just bow down and worship me, then I will allow you to be second in command. And Jesus was like, I'm not interested in your house, your authority, or your way of doing things. As a matter of fact, he's getting ready to serve notice that there is a there is a change in the air, and the authority that Satan had commanded and enjoyed and experienced for so long and so well was about to be ripped away from him. And that's what I love about the passage that we're going to be reading, is that it's dramatic. And so if you want to just turn to your Bibles or look on the, on the screen, Let's see what's going on as the Spirit enables Jesus to perform ministry uh, in, in the way that we, we discover here. 
It says, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember that only certain people, a certain class of people, a very narrow class of people, roughly 30 to 50 people, were deemed socially recognized as ones having authority. And by that, you had to be a rabbi who had gone through a process of being certified and declared uh, fit for that responsibility. And then you had to have hands laid on you, which were by people that had hands laid on them, all the way back to Moses and Joshua. And so it was a very unique experience in that culture to say you were one with authority. And so people saw this in Jesus, and they recognized that that very limited uh, um, uh, office of one having authority was a class of people that Jesus was associated with. Now, there's one, there's one way of trying to describe it in that way, but to experience it was another one altogether. And sometimes when I look at passages like this, I try to think of ground-level experiences that we have here on earth that can relate to what those words say. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't found a perfect analogy, but I found one that comes pretty close, with the exception of the fact that the methods are a little different than what Jesus's were, but the effect is the same. So I'm going to do something here, and it may be a little bit edgy, uh, and I may even get in trouble, but uh, I want to show a clip from the movie Tombstone, but before I do, I just want to show you a scene from that movie, and I want to set this up a little bit. And as this show kind of unfolds, the town is Tombstone, The place is completely and totally out of order. And when Kurt Russell, who is Wyatt Earp, walks into the saloon and he he meets the saloon keeper and he asks him a little bit about how things are going here. And he says, well, things were pretty good until that guy, and if you look at the middle of the picture, till that guy showed up who is the car dealer. And when he did, he started bullying everybody and basically uh, undermining the morale of the bar and, 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 and exploiting everyone in there. And Kurt Russell, who is Wyatt Earp here, says, well, this place seems pretty dead. And he said, yeah, it has been for quite a while. And until that guy goes, probably going to remain the same. And so with this tone of hopelessness, uh, he introduces himself to Wyatt Earp, and then Wyatt Earp, uh, uh, he, th- then he asks, what's your name? And he says, Wyatt Earp, and he says, sure. Like, yeah, right. Well, the interesting thing is the gravity of his persona begins to show. And there are a few things about this that I want you to take away, and there are a few things about this that I want you to say, yeah, we don't, we don't say that in church or anywhere else, and we don't necessarily 
behave that way towards other people when we establish authority. So without saying anything more, I'm going to show this clip, and then viscerally, you will get a sense of what Jesus is getting ready to do. So here we go. Something on your mind? Just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair. Is that a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. Well, for a man that don't go healed, you run your mouth kind of reckless, don't you? No need to go healed to get the bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? Mm. That's a fact. Well, I'm real scared. Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. All right, now go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm, I'm getting awful tired of your... I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. <clears throat> I said throw down, boy. Oh. You gonna do something or just stand there and bleed? No? I didn't think so. Here, Milt. Keep sick. Hang it over the bar. All right, youngster, out you go. Just go back. Ever. What I, what I really like about that scene is essentially how it summarizes everything that we're getting ready to read. You see, when Jesus showed up, it was clearly for the mission of cleaning house, not just on a local level, but actually on a global level and a cosmic level. And you wonder, how can one person do that? How can one person have the authority to do that unless they are the very son of the one who created it all? And that's essentially what Jesus is. Well, let's go back to our text. And let's just see exactly how what we find in this, in this story, how that compares to what we just saw on the screen. So here we go. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus simply says, and I'm just going to say this, in the grammar in the Greek, Jesus says, shut up. I've told my kids growing up, you don't say shut up. But he basically is not wasting any time with them, and he's essentially establishing his own authority and his own order. So he tells them to shut up. And then he sternly looked at the person that was being inhabited by this demon. And he says, come out of him. And then the demon, in very violent fashion, threw him down before them. And then he came out without injuring him. 
So it's kind of like, if I'm going to go, then I'm going I'm to make this person fall and injure themselves as I depart. And then all the people who are watching this, their jaws have dropped to the floor, and they're amazed. And it would appear that the questions began to ripple through the crowd, and they said, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits. And they come out, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. That's Peter, as we know uh, in, the, um, in the Gospels. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. And at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. And finally, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the towns also around here in, in, in Judea, or I mean in, um, in Galilee. And because that is why I was sent, and he had kept on preaching in the synagogues, of Judea. So most of the ministry of Jesus kind of toggled between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. But according to Luke, the base of operations was this town Capernaum. And essentially, most of what he did uh, began there and then moved in an outward place, and then he would move back. And this is the town that the, that the, uh, the disciples, many of them were from. And it was a town where he had established a core group of people that he would uh, bring with him to the various places that he would do ministry. He would teach them. He would disciple them. He would begin to equip them to do the very things that he himself was doing. Now, when you look at the scene from Tombstone and you compare it to what's going on here, what can you say in terms of the analogy between the two that we can relate to. One is, if you look at the saloon, obviously it's, it's a dead place. It is a place that doesn't have the life that people would expect when they go into an environment. And of course, where it breaks down is I wouldn't encourage our people to go into a saloon to try to find you know, uh, life and lively things. You can find it there for sure, but you may not bring home anything that's going to going to uh, uh, necessarily be good for you. Well, after that, when you think about that space being cleared up, you realize that the whole design is to put order back into place so that things can happen according to the design of the saloon. And of course, it involves guns and violence and profanity. But when Jesus essentially takes that larger domain called planet Earth, and he begins to establish this new order. 
the power isn't centered in violence and guns, but it is centered in the authority of the word. And there are three words that Luke uses a lot, and I think they're worth considering. And one is, he spends a lot of time talking about the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation. And that's important because it is only when the word is spoken that things begin to change. And the second word that Luke uses a lot is the word authority, which essentially means that there is a sovereignty that is being established here. And it isn't the sovereignty of the evil one who says, I have authority over all of this. But rather, what Luke is telling us is that for the people that are hearing the gospel there, and for you and I, the sovereignty of God has broken in. And there's another word that I want us to consider as well beyond proclaiming the gospel and authority, and that is the word logos, which is actually just the Greek word for word. And the word, the logos, is actually the word of God, which has a kind of authority that is just when you read it, when you hear it, when you allow it to soak in, it does something dramatic. There's a lot of books out there that are written, that are moving, that are inspirational, that have, I think, a positive effect and sometimes a profound effect. But there is no book out there like the Bible. When you read it, it is like a pathway for the voice of God to just begin to invade not only our eyes and our ears, but our very being. There is a weight, there's a gravity to it. There is a sense of substance. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, when you look at the eyes of Wyatt Earp, and then you think about the eyes of Jesus, there is something that makes the demon shudder. Because they know there is something inside of him that is alive, that is substantive, that is authoritative. And they can't, they can't even begin to compete with it. And I want you to hang on to that for just a second. Because I have to be honest with you, my wife and I were talking about this in the car yesterday. Yesterday was our Valentine's Day. We couldn't really do Valentine's on the 14th because it always seems to work out that um, we've always got things going on. So I said, let's just make Saturday Valentine's Day and we'll just bracket that and that will be something that we can just enjoy the whole day together. Uh, just going out to eat and spending time and not being distracted by everything else. And as we were driving in the car, uh, the, the sun began to burst through the clouds, and you would see these rays of light. And do you remember, like, religious art from the uh, 50s and 60s would always have, like, these beams of light uh, uh, sort of uh, emitting through, and you're like, oh, that's such a glorious depiction. But it got kind of cheesy, didn't it? Uh, and you would see that stuff, and you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's sort of hokey. 
And then that kind of got us onto the pictures of Jesus that we would see. They'd kind of have that pastel sort of bluish background. And then the Jesus that you would see looked like he could be a model for, uh, Rich and I were talking about this, like a, a shaving commercial or something. You know, he was, his hair was always like neat and in order. He looked basically like a, a white European model, uh, had a chiseled, chiseled look about his face and this uh, teeth all perfect and everything just having that sense of the perfect model presence classic. Because the Jesus that I think about when I try to imagine him in my mind's eye isn't that person with that sort of a plastic look, but it's a very visceral, Middle Eastern individual that had the very spirit of God inhabiting his life, and he carried such a weight and gravity and authority that he was formidable even to the darkest forces that are at work in the world. That's the Jesus that I imagine. And as I read about his life in the gospel story, I ask myself the question, what is it like to have this Jesus, this Jesus, in my life every day of my life? What is it like to know that presence and the weight of that presence at work in my life? Well, the whole point that Luke is trying to uh, make us aware of in the telling of Jesus' story is that he does have sovereignty, that he does reign, that he is the Holy One of God, that he is the Son of God, that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. The point that Luke is trying to make is that Jesus has broken into a very broken set of circumstances, including your life and mine, and he has began to take authority over our lives in a way that the things that are rooted, that are strongholds, that are keeping us from being even more alive to the presence of God, he's saying, shut up and get out. And then as he's opening up that space, he's inviting us to partake of the same spirit that he himself was anointed with at the Jordan River. To not only bring life, to but to give us life more abundantly and to be an abiding presence. And my friends, in this season of pandemic, I've seen more people fearful and anxious and worried and hand-wringing in ways that are disproportionate to the reality that I just described. Now, don't get me wrong. There is legitimate risk. There is legitimate fear. There is legitimate needs for concern. But when those things have authority over your life and your decision-making in a way that says, Jesus, you're not really powerful enough for that, I would have to disagree very boldly. 
that the Jesus that I read about in these words is the Jesus who has that authority to help you deal with whatever it is that is a stronghold in your life and keeping you from coming closer to God and realizing the peace and the love and the joy that is characteristic of his reign. And Luke is very intentional about making us aware of this portrait. When he writes the book of Acts, essentially it's sort of like a mirror image of the ministry of Jesus actually at work in the lives of the people. I'm so excited about this. And the people that would come after him. There's a lot of parallels between the things that happened to the disciples and the followers of Jesus in Acts that actually occurred in Jesus' life. And one of them is they were also given that authority to cast out demons as Jesus was alive in them through the Spirit. And even Stephen went so far as to say, let me just recapture what our tradition is as I'm talking to this esteemed group of Jewish leaders. And as he told that, he said, it all comes down to the fulfillment of the promises of God that were realized in the person of Jesus. And it so upset them, they killed him. And it's just an echo of the type of anger Jesus provoked in another set of religious leaders who basically did the same thing. And I could go on and on about the comparisons between the book of Acts and the book of Luke and how so many things that Luke describes in the life of Jesus are kind of the expectation of the life of the people that would follow, including you and I. And the point isn't so much about doing the miraculous as it is to declare that there is a new sheriff in town. There is a person who is now in authority over us that we can turn to as our Savior, as our Deliverer, as our ever-present help in our time of need, but also as the one who would be our Lord. And if you are a citizen of Salem, Ohio, and you're a citizen of the United States of America, but you are also a Christian, which indicates that you are a citizen of God's kingdom sovereign reign, then within that dominion of God's kingdom sovereign reign, your life and mine are geographically now placed in places like Salem, in the United States of America. But the bottom line is our primary allegiance isn't to the governor of the state of Ohio or the, the president of the United States of America. Our primary allegiance is to the one who is king of kings and lord of lords, who reigns. Luke so carefully wants you and I to understand this, that did you know that the very beginning of the book of Acts starts out by saying the reign of God has now come. And the very last words of the book of Acts say, and the reign of God has now come. And the reason it bookends 
that story is it wants you to realize above everything else that there is an arc over the story that is defined by those two bookends, the reign of God. Now, I know a lot of people that believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure everybody I know believes that Jesus is Lord. And what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? As Jesus is beginning his ministry, people identify him as a rabbi. And we've talked about that in another message. And essentially, a rabbi was a highly esteemed teacher that people looked to and said, if you want to know about the Bible or you want to know about God, just go to the rabbis and they'll tell you about all of those things. And as Jesus began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, people would point out, hey, it's the rabbi. But when people began to move into his orbit and began to be part of groupings of people and community together, they wouldn't call him rabbi anymore. You know what they would call him? Lord. And the difference is this. When you see a rabbi and you listen to the teachings of the rabbi, oftentimes, Maybe you want to imitate them somewhat, but overall, their influence isn't that profound unless you're a very close, immediate follower. But to take it a step further, when you called somebody Lord in that culture in that day, it essentially meant this. The way that you live, the way that you think, the way that you behave, the posture that you have towards other people, are all defined by the one that you call Lord. And when you think about how you should act, how you should respond, how you should carry on in life, you're constantly asking the question, how would Jesus, how would my Lord do these things? And I know there are a lot of people that would call themselves Christians, but don't necessarily ask those questions and you kind of know them by their fruit. And we're all guilty of it, doing things that Jesus wouldn't exactly do. I mean, when I watch Tombstone and I think about that scene, I'm like, yeah, I would love to be that guy that cleans the clock of the very bad acting character, the dealer, just to sort it out. There's something visceral. But if Jesus is Lord, my concerns aren't so much about how can I violently displace this person, but how can I authoritatively displace the evil that is going on in this environment, going on in the lives of the people around me, but also displace the evil that is inside of me. It's a different kind of authority you know what the definition of sovereignty is? This is my working definition. And my kids, if I ask them, they'll tell you, yeah, dad said this a number of times because it's so important to me. Sovereignty is the ability to exercise agency under a given set of conditions. Now you're like, you've lost me there, pastor. That's okay. It essentially means that 
You are able to do something or you are not able to do something. Like I don't have sovereignty over computer programming. When I look at my computer and I have a programming problem, Mayim has sovereignty. She's the one who can exercise agency under those conditions. Well, I'm just like, I just need your help. And what Jesus is basically doing is saying, I have sovereignty over it all. I can exercise authority over every set of conditions at will. Do you believe that? And do you declare allegiance to him as Lord? I think sometimes we've been caught up in language about being a Christian that says, I believe in Jesus, and that's all that matters. No, it's not really about believing in Jesus. It is about the fact that there is a war going on between two factions, and one of them has said, I, I demand allegiance, and I want you to serve me in every form of evil that is attractive, appealing, perhaps even to some degree seemingly fulfilling, doing acts of violence of other people, just counterfeiting everything God does. And the whole world out there that is not under the dominion of the kingdom of Christ is living in that arena. And then there are people who have said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I declare that he is my Lord, and you remember the definition of that word, and my Savior, that I give allegiance to him and him alone. And if there were ever defining times that you and I have lived in in our life cycle, this is a moment where allegiances are being tested. And there are people that are falling away from the church because they're not entirely bought in. And there are people that are here who are saying, I need to be more bought in than I've ever been. And we want to do that together as elders, as pastors, as staff, as members of this body. Essentially, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us that there's a different way. And the acts that he's doing are not acts of violence, but rather they are acts of deliverance, of compassion, of caring, of trying to rehumanize people that have been living a subhuman existence, who've had the boot of evil on their necks for far too long, and he's basically just trying to pick us up, dust us off, and give us a second chance. And not just a second chance, actually a total reset that begins with a house cleaning. 
because in one sense, we could look at that saloon, and I think it's fair to say, that's me. And I, I need a house cleaning. And I need something even beyond Wyatt Earp's capacities. Because it's pretty deep. And the Bible calls that repentance. It is a way of naming things in your life and my life that are getting in the way of Jesus being able to inhabit that space that is your life and mine because it's occupying something that doesn't belong, that doesn't fit, that is actually taking us down rather than building us up. And Jesus has the authority to build us up. And his Holy Spirit has the ability to convict us of those things that need to be sorted out. John tells us that the Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment. So all of those things that are at work in your life and mine that have to do with that, the Holy Spirit's going to say, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm actually going to make you mad. Then I'm going to set you free. And then you'll be free indeed. Do you think those demons left in a way that said, I'm celebrating my departure from this person that I'm attached to. They were pretty angry, and they came back. And if you watch the movie Tombstone, that dude shows up again, and he gets sorted out again. And Jesus will keep sorting out all the evil that is in your life and mine until the opportunities no longer exist. There is no, I've done so many bad things that I can never, ever come into a church again. No, Jesus says, there's a war going on, and I want to claim your soul. And I want you to be mine forever. Does your house need cleaned? Do you need to sort out something with the Lord today? And as you do, trust that the very blood of Jesus is more than capable of cleansing every spot and blemish and attachment of evil in your life? And do you believe that the broken body of Jesus is the one thing that broke the curse that is against you and I, freeing us up to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into God's wonderful kingdom of peace. That's the bottom line here. There's a lot more to talk about in this passage, which Rich is going to cover. But for our purposes today, my primary concern is what is the state of your house and who's living there and who needs to be kicked out and who needs to be invited in? And as imperfectly as I probably am able, but by the grace of God, I want to help you do that. So let's just take this moment of silence before the Lord. Let's bow. And then we're going to go into communion here in just a second. 
I just want to prepare ourselves for his entry into that experience and into your life. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Holy One of God. You have the weight of the authority of the very Creator Himself embodied in your being. And yet your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you come alongside us with an expectation that so many wonderful things can happen through our salvation. But you are stern with our sin. And you are stern with those things that don't belong. And you are at the ready to kick them out. So if we need to turn away from things today, Lord, I pray that as we take this moment in this gathering, that we would just offer it to you, whatever that thing is. And that on that bloodstained cross, we know you will receive it and take it away from us. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that. And then I pray, Father, that as your son came into our world, that he would also come into the very lives of the people here in the same manner and inhabit us. So we free this space up for you and you alone. Fill us. And as you do, we declare our allegiance to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. horse a little bit. So back to the beginning of the scriptures that we started with today, verse 31. I want to reread that for you. Then he went down to, to Capernaum, town in Galilee. On the Sabbath, the people, they were amazed at his because of the because of his message had authority. I want to focus on the authority. Um, it was just a few years later with the same authority that to his disciples on Passover says put inflections in different different places just says to them take and eat not a lot of comfort not a lot of extra words Take and eat, and with the cup, drink from it all the time. Same authority started. But take a minute, I'll pray, go to the table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for inviting us to this table. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your authorities. Thank you that you, from the onset, chased out the demon, silenced him, and you chased him out. With your love and your compassion, you command to take and to eat, 
take and drink. Lord, as we come to your table, you prepare our hearts and our minds to take and to drink. Help us to reflect on you. Help us Help us just to be reminded of this. I ask that you bless this bread and this juice to our bodies. Make us strong so that we can go forward for you. In your son's name we pray.
Jesus, we thank you that your word is more than strong, it is strength. You have more, and you're more than having authority. You are authority over the world we live in, and as has been given to you, it's not a conversation when you tell evil to leave the mouse, and it's an invitation to us to come in. We thank you for what you've what you've done through your word. You didn't just talk, talk is cheap. Let us remember that truth is priceless. You are priceless, you are the embodiment thereof. We thank you for what you say to us and how you love us, how you shed your blood for us, and how you lead us in the secure hope forever with you. We praise your holy name and pray that your will will continue long after we leave here. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Well, if you'd like to stay after for digging deeper, we'll get started in about uh, five or ten minutes and we'll see you soon. Wish you good.